0: this episode of the clear out was recorded on the 19th of june 2023 at home in wicklow and it is an episode dedicated to blips that's right you heard me blips you're a blip i'm a blip and you might think i'm referring to a blip in that more typical way of a blip being a little mistake or a, a glitch i'm not saying that at all I'm really thinking it was more like uh, (laughs) a blip moving across a heart monitor. Blip, 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 one of those kind of blips. But I, I look at this idea of how random life is and how random our meetings with other people are. And I just feel like we're these tiny blips moving across a vast yes I use the word matrix uh again and again as I describe this metaphor and I'm not not stealing it from the Wachowski sisters now as it is um I'm just just looking at that the randomness and the the sort of unpredictability and the unknowability and how that plays out or how it affects us or yeah and again as I say just the the um The lack of control we have in all of that. I also talk about one of my recurring themes, the the travelling alone in the universe idea, how no one else can really truly know your interiority, your internal space. Um, And if you get close to that with someone, it's something quite miraculous. Um, And in the area of random meetings, I read, I read the opening pages of a famous... Russian novel uh, in the middle of the podcast um, because I just wanted to look at that Um, and then I speak about a train journey I used to like taking and a journey in general that I used to like taking and um, yes I I finish up with a bit of a a back and forth um, account of my weekend oh what a thrill that will be for you to listen to that it did involve Father's Day so that was nice Um, and even though I don't say it in the the episode I did get a very nice laminated poem from my daughter which um, I'm not sure if I'll ever share that with anyone so there you go that's very uh, withholding of me okay anyway that's what's coming up lots of um, yeah lots of different things and I hope you like what you hear. See you around the corner. Bye. Hi, my name is Dara Clear and you're listening to The Clear Out. You're very welcome. How are you? How's it going? Who have you met on your journey of late? Who have you encountered? Who has life put in your path? <laughs> it's um, it's all very random. Really. It's all very random. And I don't want to literally take the metaphor of The Matrix from The Matrix movies. But... Sometimes it's hard not to think of us, (laughs) of we humans as mere blips passing along a vast matrix of interaction, living out our lives and intersecting with others and having our journeys deviate or stop or continue in the same direction perhaps we travel in parallel to another blip that we that we never know about and life's circumstances dictate the trajectory life's circumstances dictate the the speed the velocity uh with which we travel and i think if you think about the people you've met in your life and you think about timing the when of the meeting the when the meeting occurred. Um, that timing is something over which you've no control. You don't know where that person has come from, where they otherwise would have gone, had they not met you. And it's it's so random. It's so random. In in what form? you'll meet someone at any point in time it's so random what they're going to bring to the encounter it's so random what that meeting will result in will it result in a friendship or a relationship a dalliance of some kind will it just be a bump and that's not euphemistic <laughs> will it just be a a bump and an excuse me and you move on and you keep, keep travelling. Uh, a tip of the hat, a tug of the forelock, a brief moment's eye contact. Um, again, it's so random. And even even with people you know even with people you've known for a long time friends, family members, partners, whatever um, their journey even though it can be closely connected to yours or be adjacent to yours or in some way be moving in the same world as yours it's, it's ultimately their own journey it's ultimately their own journey I come back to the travelling alone in the universe the theory concept, whatever you want to call it that's what I believe we're all doing one way or another no matter how involved we are in the lives of others no matter who are, you know, no matter who we're, who we're involved with or to whom we're attached we're always travelling alone ultimately um i don't know what level of transparency or telepathy or symbiosis would have to exist between two people for one to say of the other you're not alone i'm with you um in like in the truest sense when thinking of one's interiority, the internal journey, the internal negotiation. No one else can be in that space. No one else can occupy the same space that you occupy. Um, I know from a recent podcast I listened to that that was one of the the rules from the uh, the 90s Jean-Claude Van Damme sci-fi actioner. Time cop one of the rules of time travel was you can't touch yourself in the future um it could because you can't occupy the same space that's one of the one of the rules uh you can't occupy the same space as your, your future self um yeah i'm <laughs> I'm already stumbling because i you know the second i i've you know I, I said even a a toe tip into the world of science or <laughs> physics, I have an instinctive mental shutdown, an intellectual shutdown that says, go no further. <laughs> you know not of which you speak. Silence yourself, fool. Um, but yeah, in any case, um, yeah, we never know. We never know what's going on, really, truly, in someone else's innermost spaces. Um, Yeah, so the, 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 the point I was making was that even though you may think, no, I've known this person for a long time, I've known this person my whole life, you still never really know. Unless there's some extraordinary level of of, of sharing, of, of, of shared insight, of... I mean, and it's just kind of inconceivable, the, the, the idea that you could just sort of take someone else's version of themselves as read. Um, because we can be our own most unreliable narrators we can be our own most unreliable tellers of our own tale um, because that's informed by so many different things so many different different um, knocks and stumbles and hurts and grievances and agendas and and world building, or if not world building, conviction building, and yeah, you know, the whole idea—you like, know, this is a this whole philosophical field. Like, what can we actually know? What can be known, really, truly? And as I've declared before, I, <laughs> I, I remain largely uninterested in the empirical answering of that question in the scientific answering of that question i go with my my gut on so many things and i go that'll do me for now that'll do me for now and i try to be evidence based in terms of my experience of a person in terms of being exposed to Person's behavior um, where patterns are usually quite easily detectable, Um, and that's often what I base my feeling on. And also, the feeling is based on the feeling I get from them, (laughs) and then that gets a bit that gets a little bit, um, a bit wishy washy, a bit abstract. but yeah, I come back to I come back to the uh, the grid, the matrix, and the what is it now? Are we seven odd billion blips blipping along on the matrix, the grid, the template? Um, moving. I mean, really moving. So incessantly and living out the lives of blips so relentlessly that our little brains can't even grasp it um and it's yeah what's 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 the point i'm trying to make i'm asking myself the point I'm trying to make is it's if you gain any semblance of certainty or any sense of dependability stability reliability in another person I think that's close to a minor miracle Um, does that sound very cynical does it (laughs) it's not meant to it's not meant to but we really I don't know in a way it feels like our 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 trajectory our own individual trajectory ultimately never really deviates um, no matter no matter who happens to us no matter what happens to us like deep down see again I come back to this probably very essentialist position which is deep down underneath everything there's this base state that I choose to believe is is benign um, and simply objectively interested in our our thriving and our well-being and our staying alive in the best possible way Um, and that base state doesn't really change and maybe that's what i'm saying is the the equivalent because the base state then will have its own instinct its own impulse and its own trajectory Um, and its own pace and I don't know I mean I guess something radical something radical can happen to alter that base state Um, some major uh, event for the I don't know maybe maybe that's a change in in brain chemistry in brain wiring in brain function now if I say that it, it it suggests that I'm locating that base state in in the brain and I never I never think of it that way in fact I think for so you know for some reason the way I conceive of the base state it's it's down low. <laughs> it's in the basement of us <laughs> and I don't consider the brain the basement so you know I'm revealing my own my own prejudice um, my, my, my suspicion and my circumspection around locating the um, locating our sort of our driving force our core state in the brain um, I suppose I'm going for for instinct over cognition. Um. Yeah. As ever, as ever, on the clear out. <laughs> I'm thinking in my seat, thinking on my feet, thinking in my seat. Um. But yeah, I've been, I've been, I've been sort of taken with this this idea uh, over the last little while of. The and it's the third time I've used this word, maybe maybe I've used it even more this episode already, random, the random, the random nature of 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 human interaction, of human intervention, of human intermingling and all the different ways that that can impact us and all the different states the the endless variables at play when one blip meets another blip and what each blip brings to the moment um and i i maintain that we have no control over that, really we've no control over what we're bringing at any one time i mean that's we're, we're just the product of our lives of our lives to date we're just the product of our own understanding of ourselves we're the we're we're a version a product of a version of understanding we're a product of a stage of understanding a stage of insight i like to tell myself that the the learnings will continue <laughs> that there, there are always <laughs> new things to learn new insights to be gained that will be of use that will be of service that will help me do better and what does that mean to do better, to find myself more at ease in the world, to find myself calmer, to find myself more accepting, um, more resolute. Uh, does does anybody aspire to be dissolute? Is that a thing? I want to be all over the place. I want to be chaos um maybe some people do um again who knows who knows that's uh that's up to you you blip you have to work that out for yourself and maybe you're asking yourself well how much can a blip know how much can a blip know well you're you're one of those blips if you're going to go with my my uh my model um you're one of those blips, as am I, and even this—if you find yourself listening to this—this this is one blip speaking to another, <laughs> um, and maybe this will affect your trajectory. Maybe you'll find yourself moving very fast in the opposite direction, as, as quickly, yeah, you know, as quickly as you can possibly move away from my my point my 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 coordinates on the axis uh the xy axis of this matrix maybe like get me the hell out of here hard reverse um yeah now i'm not sure where or in what way I may return to this starting point but and this may feel very random but I'm going to read you I'm going to read you uh, at the beginning of a story <laughs> it's not my story that would be wonderful <laughs> or it might not be wonderful depending on, uh, on what you like but I'm going to read you at the beginning of a story which introduces two uh, characters and their first meeting. And uh, you may recognise it and you may not recognise it, but it's something, um, it's, it's something of a... This story, which is in fact a novel, a literary novel, it's a bit of a spirit animal for the podcast... So, if you've been a regular listener you'll, you'll you'll probably make a good stab at guessing what that what this is but in any case i I felt before coming on to record I felt hmm, I might just read a chunk from the beginning of this story and um see see what it raises so um without further. Adieu, I'll begin. Towards the end of November, during a warm spell, at around nine o'clock in the morning, a train of the Petersburg-Warsaw line was approaching Petersburg at full steam. It was so damp and foggy that dawn could barely break. Ten paces to right or left of the line It was hard to make out anything at all through the carriage windows. Among the passengers, there were some who were returning from abroad, but the third class compartments were more crowded, and they were all petty business folk from not far away. Everyone was tired, as usual. Everyone's eyes had grown heavy overnight. Everyone was chilled. Everyone's face was pale yellow, matching the colour of the fog. In one of the third-class carriages, at dawn, two passengers found themselves facing each other just by the window. Both young men, both travelling light, both unfashionably dressed, both with rather remarkable physiognomies, and both, finally, willing to get into conversation with each other. If they had known what was so remarkable about the one and the other at that moment, they would certainly have marvelled at the chance that had so strangely seated them facing each other in the third-class carriage of the Petersburg Warsaw train. One of them was of medium height, about twenty-seven years old, with curly, almost black hair and small but fiery grey eyes. He had a broad, flat nose and high cheekbones. His thin lips were constantly twisting into a sort of impudent mocking and even malicious smile. But his forehead was high and well-formed and made up for the lack of nobility in the lower part of his face. Especially notable was the deathly pallor of his face, which gave the young man's whole physiognomy an exhausted look, despite his rather robust build, and at the same time suggested something passionate, to the point of suffering, which was out of harmony with his insolent and coarse smile and his sharp, self-satisfied gaze. He was warmly dressed in an ample lambskin coat, "'covered with black cloth, and had not been cold during the night, "'while his neighbour had been forced to bear on his chilled back "'all the sweetness of a damp Russian November night, "'for which he was obviously not prepared. "'He was wearing a rather ample and thick sleeveless cloak "'with an enormous hood, "'the sort often worn by winter travellers somewhere far abroad.' in Switzerland or northern Italy, for instance, certainly not reckoning on such long distances as from Idukin to Petersburg. But what was proper and quite satisfactory in Italy turned out to be not entirely suitable to Russia. The owner of the cloak with the hood was a young man, also about 26 or 27 years old, slightly taller than average, with very blonde, thick hair, sunken cheeks, and a sparse, pointed, nearly white little beard. His eyes were big, blue, and intent. Their gaze had something quiet but heavy about it, and was filled with that strange expression by which some are able to guess at first sight that the subject has the falling sickness, The young man's face, however, was pleasant, fine and dry, but colourless, and now even blue with cold. From his hands dangled a meagre bundle made of old, faded foulard, containing, apparently, all his travelling possessions. On his feet he had thick-soled shoes with gaiters, all not the Russian way his black-haired companion in the lambskin coat, took all this in, partly from having nothing to do, and finally asked, with that tactless grin which sometimes expresses so unceremoniously and carelessly people's pleasure in their neighbours' misfortunes, "'Chilly?' And he hunched his shoulders. "'Very,' his companion replied with extreme readiness." And note that this is a warm spell. What if it were freezing? It didn't even occur to me that it was so cold at home. I'm unaccustomed to it. Coming from abroad, are you? Yes, from Switzerland. Whew, fancy that. The black haired man whistled and laughed. They got to talking. The readiness of the blonde young man in the Swiss cloak to answer all his swarthy companion's questions was astonishing and betrayed no suspicion of the utter carelessness, idleness and impropriety of some of the questions. In answering them he said, among other things, that he had indeed been away from Russia for a long time, more than four years. That he had been sent abroad on account of illness Some strange nervous illness like the falling sickness or St Vitus's dance Some sort of trembling and convulsions Listening to him, the swarthy man grinned several times He laughed particularly when, to his question And did they cure you? The blond man answered No, they didn't Ha! Got all that money for nothing And we go believing them "'the swarthy man remarked caustically. "'That's the real truth?' "'A poorly dressed gentleman who was sitting nearby "'broke into the conversation. "'Some sort of encrusted copying clerk. "'About forty years old, strongly built, "'with a red nose and a pimply face. "'The real truth, sir, "'they just draw all Russian forces to themselves for nothing.' "'Oh, you're quite wrong in my case,' "'the Swiss patient picked up in a soft and conciliatory voice.' Of course I can't argue because I don't know everything but my doctor gave me some of his last money for the trip and kept me there for almost two years at his own expense What? You mean there was nobody to pay? asked the swarthy man Mr Bavlishev who supported me there died two years ago then I wrote here to General Apanchin's wife my distant relation but I got no answer So with that, I've come back. Come back where, though? You mean where will I be staying? I don't really know yet. So you haven't decided yet? And both listeners burst out laughing again. And I suppose that bundle contains your whole essence, the swarthy man asked. I'm ready to bet it does, the red-nosed clerk picked up with an extremely pleased air. And that there's no further belonging than the baggage car. Though poverty's no vice, that again is something one can't help observing. It turned out to be so. The blonde young man acknowledged it at once, and with extraordinary alacrity. Your bundle has a certain significance all the same, the clerk went on after they had laughed their fill. Remarkably, the owner of the bundle, looking at them, finally started laughing himself which increased their merriment. And though you can bet it doesn't contain any imported gold packets of Napoleon doors or Friedrich doors or any Dutch yellow boys, a thing that might be deduced merely from the gaiters enclosing your foreign shoes. But if to your bundle, we were to add some supposed relation as General Appansion's wife, then your bundle would take on a somewhat different significance. Naturally, only in the case that General Apanchin's wife is indeed your relation, and you didn't make a mistake out of absent-mindedness, which is quite, quite human, well, say, from an excess of imagination. Oh, you've guessed right again, the blonde young man picked up. I am indeed almost mistaken. That is she's almost not my relation so that i really wasn't surprised in the least when they didn't answer me there i even expected it wasted your money franchising the letter for nothing Hmm. but at any rate you're simple-hearted and sincere which is commendable Mm. and general a we know sir essentially because he's a generally known man and the late Mr. Pavlishev who supported you in Switzerland we also knew sir if it was Nikolai Andreevich Pavlishev because there were two cousins the other one is still in the Crimea but the deceased Nikolai Andreevich was a respectable man and with connections and owned 4,000 souls in his time sir just so his name was Nikolai Andreevich Pavlishev and having responded the young man looked intently and inquisitively at Mr. Know-It-All. These Mr. Know-It-All's are occasionally, even quite frequently, to be met with in a certain social stratum. They know everything, all the restless inquisitiveness of their minds, and all their abilities are turned irresistibly in one direction, certainly for lack of more important life interests and perspectives, as a modern thinker would say. The phrase they know all implies however a rather limited sphere where so-and-so works who is acquainted who he is acquainted with how much he is worth where he was governor who he is married to how much his wife brought him who his cousins are who his cousins twice removed are etc etc all in the same vein for the most part these know-it-alls go about with holes at the elbows and earn a salary of 17 rubles a month. The people whose innermost secrets they know would, of course, be unable to understand what interests guide them. And yet, many of them are positively consoled by this knowledge that amounts to a whole science. They achieve self-respect and even the highest spiritual satisfaction. Besides, it is a seductive science, I have known scholars, writers, poets, political activists who sought and found their highest peace and purpose in this science, who positively made their careers by it alone. During this whole conversation, the swarthy young man kept yawning, looking aimlessly out of the window and waiting impatiently for the end of the journey. He seemed somehow distracted, very distracted, all but alarmed was even becoming somehow strange. Sometimes he listened without listening, looked without looking, laughed without always knowing or understanding himself why he was laughing. But excuse me, with whom do I have the honour? The pimply gentleman suddenly addressed the blonde young man with the bundle. Prince Lev Nikolaevich Mishkin, the other replied with full and immediate readiness. Prince Mishkin? Lev Nikolaevich. Don't know it, sir. Never even so much as heard it, sir, the clerk replied, pondering. I don't mean the name. The name's historical. It can and should be found in kalamzin's history. I mean the person, sir. There's no Prince Mishkin to be met with anywhere, and even the rumours have died out. Oh, that's certain, the prince answered at once. There are no Prince Mishkins at all now, except me. It seems... I'm the last one. And as for our fathers and grandfathers, we've even had some farmers among them. My father, however, was a second lieutenant in the army from the Junkers. But I don't know in what way Mrs. Apanchin also turns out to be Princess Mishkin, also the last in her line. (laughs) The last in her line. (laughs) What a way to put it, the clerk tittered the swarthy man also smiled the blond man was slightly surprised that he had managed to make a pun though a rather bad one and imagine I never thought what I was saying he finally explained in surprise that's clear that's clear sir the clerk merrily agreed and say prince did you do any studying there at your professors the swarthy man suddenly asked yes I I did And me, I never studied anything. Well, I only did a little of this and that, the prince added, almost apologetically. They found it impossible to educate me systematically because of my illness. You know the Rogozians? The swarthy man asked quickly. No, not at all. I know very few people in Russia. Are you a Rogozian? Yes, I'm Parfion Rogozian. Parfion? You're not from those same Ruggersians. The clerk began with increased importance. Yes, the same, the very same. The swarthy man interrupted quickly and with impolite impatience. He had, incidentally, never once addressed the pimply clerk, but from the very beginning had talked only to the prince. Right. I don't know what you make of that. <laughs> That's... Um, that's the opening uh, from Dostoevsky's The Idiot and yes as I said before I began reading the the, the novel The Idiot it's kind of a spirit animal for for the podcast and if you go if you go back all the way back to I think the second episode um, of the podcast I think it's called Am I a Clown or an Idiot or Both and i explained the book's significance to me but um i just sort of had an impulse to read the start of that because it has that random meeting on the train of the uh the protagonist and one of the other major players in the in the novel and um there is something stylistically kind of tricky there um in terms of the character of the the clerk or clerk i seem to i was i was hovering between the two pronunciations um it was obviously a sort of a a, so, a social well not if not if, if not a social climber a social aspirant so that's a very particular blip if we go back to the blip idea the blip that wants to jump on the tail of another blip or makes it their business to know who all the blips are in their particular corner of this matrix that I'm imagining um yeah so there were a couple of um a couple of things there I had to to sort of go and do a little bit of research conveniently there's um uh there's a, there's there's notes with the, the the version of the novel I have. It's a beautiful hardback um, Everyman's Library edition um, of of the Idiot, but um, they referred to a foulard. Now that's foulard, F O U L A R D. I had no idea what that was, but it's a basically like a, a silk scarf or a very lightweight patterned scarf, and that's what the prince had as his um his main um means of carrying his belongings and the, the the clerk i started to think of that clerk as the um really obsequious and in the end quite um villainous character from ernst Lubitsch's. The shop around the corner which again if you're a regular listener to the podcast you know that's one of my all-time favorite uh christmas movies and maybe just one of my all-time favorite movies but um, i was thinking he's that kind of of character um yeah but look <laughs> see i'm i'm reading that and i'm thinking i can do i could do better here i could bring these characters to life a bit more and that's just the uh the acting impulse but then there's the other part to me that goes just read the words just read the words the other the other thing that came up there there was a reference to Dutch was it Dutch Golden Boys and um, Dutch Golden Boys and Friedrichs doors and Napoleon doors and they're all references to currency Um so yeah different sort of yeah different currencies and different gold coins so again what you're getting from that clerk is that the social aspirant the social kind of climbing and then the the obsession with means and money and and wealth which is always quite classless and petty isn't it is it that's my feeling um and then there was one other thing the falling sickness which I remembered from previous readings that is a way of describing epilepsy and i think dostoevsky suffered from epilepsy so that's the falling sickness but they also made references they also made reference to um saint vitus's or saint vitus's dance um a sickness akin to that and i was like what's this saint vitus's dance and that refers to Um, a product or a symptom of rheumatic fever that results in involuntary convulsions and jerking of the body and it's named for Saint Vitus who was a medieval uh, Christian the son of a pagan senator but he cast out a spirit from a possessed person so presumably the person was presenting with these convulsions and Shakes, the jerkings, uh, the un, you know the inc- uncontrollable jerkings of the body and the the you know the musculature, and this Vitus character cast out the demon, um, and he was martyred and he became a saint, um, and so those symptoms were known as Saint Vitus's dance, and I saw a headline <laughs> in my research which was um, who exactly was St Vitus and was he any good at dancing? But that St Vitus's dance has, was subsequently renamed Sydenham's Korea, because it was diagnosed by an English physician named Thomas Sydenham. Sydenham, Um, and so yeah, Sydenham's Korea is how it's now known. So there you go, it's amazing. It's amazing the things you learn. Um so you know you're getting uh we've got, we've just kind of stepped into the world of exorcisms there and how people perceived illness and how people pres- perceived what the body did um as being, you know, possessed by demons, by the devil. Um I mean that was yeah. I'm not I'm not uh I'm not about to espouse on medieval uh, medical Perspectives Because um, Just like the science uh, <laughs> I know not of what I speak I just I, I instantly think of the four humours um, Which are what Christ Melancholy is one isn't it And um, The one I always get wrong Phlegmatic Phlegmatic Melancholy Pff, There you go Two out of four it's not great but sure I can't be arsed um, yeah so again I, I, I had this impulse to read from the idiot because of that meeting and the randomness and I mean ultimately it's it's it's, it's Mishkin's innocence put up against uh, Rogozin's um, sort of finality and darkness and impulsiveness and um, inability to control himself and inability his inability to to not be cynical and see the worst in people and they both become obsessed with the same woman um, but Rogozin of course is not considered an idiot it's Mishkin who's considered the idiot because he's he's guileless and open and transparent and easy to read Um, and I suppose um, I'm sure I must have spoken about I I, I wouldn't (laughs) I find it a bit kind of um, I don't like going back to listen to the the old episodes but I must have spoken I must have spoken about the um, the stalker that I had briefly a student I had in Melbourne and she knew I liked the book The Idiot because I think I was rereading it at the time and used to have it on me with my pile of books I brought into the classroom and she was familiar with it and she used to. um, She started emailing me uh, and addressing me as my (laughs) Mishkin and she she turned out to be pretty nuts. and invented a husband and invented the sudden passing of her father and um, yeah yeah it was weird it was very strange and for rather fortuitously I had the opportunity to to take some acting work which took me away from the school for a couple of months and she'd moved on to a different um, a different school by the time I by the time I rejoined or she was in a different class anyway and then left the school. Um but she was a fascinating character as well. She was really interesting. <laughs> but um yeah, it was a it was a strange and intense little um spell where I was getting these increasingly irate emails from her that were yeah, clearly someone who wasn't really in control of What was going on and um yeah strange strange stuff anyway funny funny because i don't know if i'll ever ever be addressed by anyone ever again in my life as my (laughs) mishkin but the um the reason the book the idiot is the spirit animal of of the podcast is because yes i am an idiot um and I do try to to keep something of the idiot's um, openness and transparency in my my personal ethos and my personal credo. And it's about you've heard me speak about trying to keep a, an open heart. That's the that's the triumph over the 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 shit that life can deal you. Um, yeah. And it did get me thinking, though, thinking about the specific, uh, the, you know, just thinking about train journeys and meeting people on trains. It, it did get me thinking that about the journey that we used to make as kids to London, where uh, we wouldn't fly; we'd get the the boat. <laughs> we would get the yeah, the boat, the the ferry from Dublin, from Dunleer, in fact. Hollyhead from Dunleary in South Dublin to Hollyhead uh, on the coast of Wales and then from Hollyhead it transfer onto a train that would take you down to London or across to London, whatever way you want to think of it. And I used to love that journey. I used to love that journey as a kid. I used to love getting on the ferry. And you know, you, you know, the, the, the mission was to to find to find a little spot, to find a little spot for yourself. And it was kind of a it was kind of a free for all, and you'd find a little table um, with uh, with seats at the you know at at, at, at one of the windows on, on the on the ferry, and that's where you dump your bags, and then we were just given free reign to roam like it was kind of off you go open plan and i remember on one of those i remember on one of those uh crossings there was a cinema on the boat and we were able to watch i think we saw the goonies um is that robert zemeckis who directed that steven spielberg produced the goonies featuring a very um a very young um no country for old men Josh Brolin son of James isn't that right uh, yeah a very young Josh Brolin um, and some other kind of child actor stalwarts um, yeah it was I remember that that was great because I was just obsessed any chance to be in a cinema of any kind I was delighted with myself and my favourite part really about being on the boat was just when the engines started to rumble as we pulled away out of the port and just feeling the ferry on the sea and then being allowed to go out on deck and look over at the water um, and it, I, I feel like we did that crossing we did it at night and we did it um, in, in daylight and i i never I, n- I never got bored with it i always thought it was really really great um and just it had a, it had a particular smell as well. Um, the, maybe it was a combination of sea air and and what I don't know. Cleaning agents, people, you know, fellow travelers. I'm sure everyone must have been smoking their heads off <laughs> <laughs> and drinking their heads off as well. That was an option too. And then you'd get to hollyhead and it, it felt like there was never you never had to wait that long before you'd be able to, you know you'd be sitting on the train and you had your you had your seat booked as far as i recall um and you'd make your journey you'd make the journey to london um and i do recall i think it was i think we were with our my uncle when i say we I'm, I'm referring to my older brother so my older brother and i used to do this journey as kids and we did it with our mo- our mother because we were visiting her mother in London um, our mother had left Ireland uh, to yeah I mean basically when her, her marriage ended I went to, to London and my mother lived in London briefly for a while as well but the, her mother remained so my grandmother spent the, the last what the last third of her life in London approximately maybe the last quarter of her life um, yeah I used to love going there but the um, that journey in particular I mean I've, I've flown to London countless times since over the years and um, I don't feel in any way the same way about the plane journey um, to London it's sort of I mean it's fast um, but yeah there's no there's no excitement to that, and it's um, I don't know. It's funny that like those short hop flights they almost feel like they almost feel inconvenient. Um, now, granted, it would take it felt like it would take like the guts of a day to get to London from uh, from Ireland back then. Doing it that way, less delightfully, we used to sometimes get the bus. You'd get a bus that would go on to the ferry and you could walk around the ferry and then you would get back onto the bus and the bus would drive to London and the bus certainly wasn't that thrilling at all and quite confined obviously and cramped and it just didn't have the same atmosphere Um, but it was bloody cheap (laughs) I think I did that once or twice when I was in um, acting school in England so that was whatever the mid to late nineties. I was still doing that, um, but yeah, that I, I remember being on the train once with my with my uncle and my brother, and my my uncle was always great at engaging, you know, strangers and striking up conversation. And um, I think for some reason, I think it was the black guy who he got chatting to, and he produced a bar of. Ritter, do you know that, do you know that uh, confectioner, German, I think a German chocolate maker and um, you know I was like oh, I mean, immediately I was like this is great because it's, it's chocolate, <laughs> it's sweets, candy, lollies and my, my sweet tooth activated instantly uh, but to my dismay it was rum and raisin and I was a, a devout <laughs> non-alcoholic and also hated raisins and yet somehow I forced myself <laughs> to take some of that chocolate um, and I think I even convinced myself that I enjoyed it but it felt very exotic to me to be sitting there with a black guy taking his rum and raisin chocolate Um and that's, that's that's probably that's probably one of my only recollections of meeting someone um a stranger on a train like that and um, because I was probably just absorbed with the childhood perspectives um and enjoying myself and hanging out with my brother and just wandering around the uh the, the ferry there was there a casino on the ferry? am I imagining that? there was definitely a bar and some sort of dining room restaurant area and a shop um i don't know it was just cool i mean it was just cool to go and wander and run up and down those uh staircases you know up and down uh levels To go up on deck and then just to see the churning water behind and and then to see you know to to, to look back and see Ireland being left behind and to look ahead and see Wales or you know yeah Wales England the UK waiting and it always felt good it always felt good to be going to London it felt good to travel down and to arrive into I think we used to arrive into Euston station Um, I I have a recollection of arriving into Paddington once as well so different trains I don't know and then that whole relationship with London and all those famous iconic stations and then travelling on the Tube to get to my grandmother's place and um, passing stations like um, like Baker Street or, and Liverpool Street whatever it might be Kings Cross um, Notting-, Notting Hill Gate uh, Hammersmith and then last stop for us was Ladbroke Grove, which was where my, my grandmother lived, which I think was the Metropolitan line, maybe it still is. Um, but yeah, just brilliant, absolutely loved it, loved it. Um, I mean, I, I loved it so much. I'd like, I, 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 I'd really want, to, I'd, I'd like to take my daughter just to do it that way once. Just to see. Although she's not a fan of long journeys, <laughs> she like last week when we went to Connemara, there was lots of whinging and moaning, um, and that was, I mean, more or less what five hours. Um, yeah, I mean the whole journey was a bit a bit more than that. We were stopping so Pepper the dog could have a pee break and whatnot. But yeah, Maeve she's a reluctant traveller. Um, anyway, whatever. Uh, I'm recording this on Monday so yesterday was Father's Day which was nice I ended up hanging out with Maeve for most of the day which was lovely and we had a little a trip up to Dublin to see somebody which was cool um, and on our return we had a swim in the river which was nice so it's kind of the you know for me it's the beginning of the, the river season rather than being in the sea uh, but been, there had been a lot of rain there was a lot of heavy rain over the weekend so the, the river was a little bit churned up and pretty dark um, so Maeve was a bit a bit unconvinced about the uh, the merits of getting into that dark spooky water and I observed her body language and when she's nervous or afraid she just kind of clutches her hands underneath her chin elbows kind of tight in together as she's contemplating and, and fretting and worrying so um i just tried to reassure her that it wasn't a big deal at all not to swim and i mean it's it's, it's ironic because only last week i was saying how she'd found her confidence but she was really tired because we she'd had a, a big sleepover actually it was a big weekend <laughs> it's busy we um I took herself and a friend, uh, and uh, with with Chiara, my wife, we went to see the Little Mermaid on on Friday night, um, because yeah, Maeve wanted to see it, and look, it was grand. It was grand. I mean, those those live action Disney movies, they're kind of they're somehow they, they somehow all arrive a bit stillborn, um, if you'll forgive me using that term. Um, they're just. There's something in art. Now the the young actress playing Ariel, the mermaid, uh, Hallie Bailey, yes, Hallie or Haley, Haley Bailey, hardly Haley Bailey, Hallie Bailey. She was really good. She was really really good. And Melissa McCarthy was excellent as Ursula. But um, just a bit too long, and the, the 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 prince, the love interest, was an absolute drip, boring as all get out. Anyway, that was Friday night. That was a late night. Didn't get back here till about eleven. Um, and then on Saturday there was a, a family party for uh, one of my aunts, my aunt Maria, my aunt Maria, the most beautiful girl I know. Uh, so Maria was having a significant birthday and it was a nice family gathering and then Maeve asked if she could stay the night to hang out with her her cousin, whatever way that works second cousin or first cousin once removed, I've had versions of that query a million times and I can never get it straight in my head anyway the daughter of my cousin so um, I said yes (laughs) and um yeah so we came home and i sat up and watched the director's cut of ridley scott's kingdom of heaven which has a lot to recommend it i remember not being totally convinced by it when i saw it the first time which wouldn't have been the director's cut it felt a bit patchy and i heard um one of the guys who's on the rewatchables one of my favorite film podcasts to listen to uh, Chris Ryan is the uh, the man in question he was saying the director's cut is really good so I watched that and it was yeah it was much better ultimately a thing that can happen Orlando Bloom was probably having a massive moment the biggest moment of his career coming off the back of the Lord of the Rings movies and he is the uh, the hero of the peace and the man upon whose shoulders the entire narrative rests, and I just don't think his shoulders were quite strong enough, and he has to make a big speech at the end. I mean, it's you know fundamentally the story of uh, the you know the kind of medieval crusaders holding Jerusalem and having to fight a huge Muslim army to 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 save it. Um, and at one point towards the end, Orlando Bloom's character. Um, has to make a speech to kind of go hey we're all hey we're all in this together Jerusalem and faith is for everyone Um, and just going you're just this kind of young guy making this speech to a load of people and it's just a bit too a bit too Hollywood and a bit too naff um, it wasn't you know when do those speeches work when do those speeches work I mean if that was Sean Bean I reckon it would have worked Sean Bean would have been good in that he would would have been too old to be in that role but this idea of the young guys and I know there's a scene I'm I'm going to give you two more not good examples, one is for some reason in Snow White and the Huntsman (laughs) with Chris Hemsworth Charlize Theron and it's Kristen Stewart isn't it Kristen Stewart makes one of those um, Henry V style, rally the troops, St Crispin's Day speeches, and it just doesn't work. And who else? Another English actress um, whose name I always forget. She was in the Stephen Hawking's movie. She was in the Ruth Bader, Ruth Bader. You know who I'm talking about? The 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 the, the American Supreme Court justice. Ruth Bader bloody hell it's a triple barrel name anyway the actress Felicity something or other she does one of those speeches in the Star Wars movie um, Rogue One and again just doesn't work there's something about the callowness of youth and you go know, really hardened combatants um, and grown ups are going to be inspired by this <laughs> I don't know there's something about the grizzled veteran making a speech like that you go yeah let's do it I'm with you I'm with you you've got the you've got the experience you've got the scars you've got the uh, the gravitas um, and it does, it just doesn't wash it doesn't wash with these young pretty actors and actresses so I, I, I suppose script writers script writers and directors must know that um, yeah Where, I didn't give you an example of when it worked did I no I mean I'm thinking of I am thinking of Kenneth Branagh in his filmed version of Henry V in that speech I referred to um, no I'm drawing a blank um, these are the kinds of things you need to sort of sit down and research, um, yeah, because I like you could you could you could do a whole podcast on um, war movies and rousing speeches and key moments and saying the right thing at the right time. Um, I think Aragorn in *The Return of the King*, Viggo Mortensen's character, he he does this, he does something very succinct before one of those final battles. it's more of a more of a look than a than a you know a long speech anyway probably you're wishing i would do more of that and just um give you a podcast where i just give you a look and then say mind yourselves thanks for listening good luck that would that would be a that would be a briefer affair altogether wouldn't it okay well listen (laughs) i am going to do that You listen very closely right now and see if you can hear me give you a look. Did you get it? That was it. I just gave you a look. The look that says, We're not going to take this lying down. We're going to get out of here. We're going to survive to tell this story to our wives, to our husbands, to our children, to our children's children. okay that's enough of that um thanks for listening blip from one blip to another blip thanks for listening thanks for being on this sharing this trajectory for this this hour and five minutes or so um yeah i will be back with more next week so um yeah and uh yeah as, as always you can reach out share the love on social media uh, using whatever your platform is i'm there on youtube instagram facebook all those links or icons will be there wherever you're uh, listening to this so uh rate the show leave a comment share um subscribe and if you are so motivated you can become a patron using the patreon link patreon link Patreon.com forward slash the clear out, and you can throw me, I don't know, the price of a cup of coffee every uh, every couple of weeks, once a month, and um, help me believe this thing is uh, sustainable. Or just feel like you've done something, you're contributing to something creative, something positive, something original. That's good. That's good, isn't it? That, that's, that, that's good to get behind something like that. That's good to, to support this endeavor that is um no i'm not i won't i won't start um i won't start monologuing about uh you know trying to justify what i do here i do it because i do it that's it that's all you need to know all right on you go on your bike on your horse (laughs) take it easy do do always do mind yourself stay safe stay well stay positive if you can but uh, you know, just roll with it. Let those, uh, let the other things happen too, because that's just part of being, being alive, being human, feeling things, being sentient. And um, it'll continue, and only you will know about it until you open up and talk, which I value very highly, but not everyone does. All right, I'll talk to you next week. Take it easy. All the best. Bye. Be